Would you stand together with me? And today we're going to depart, as I usually do on the first Sunday of the month, depart our regular series of studies on the story of Joseph. And I'm going to speak to you this morning on the return of the Messiah. Now, if you don't have a Bible, you can look at the pews in front of you there, and there should be some Bibles in a pew close to you, or you can look on with a friend. And uh, we're going to read from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we're going to begin in the Gospel of Luke, Gospel of Luke, chapter 21. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 21. They are in the temple. They're looking at people who are coming by and giving gifts of money for the support of the temple. And chapter 21 of Luke, verse 1, He looked up, and he saw some rich men casting their gifts into the treasury, and he saw a certain poor widow casting in there two mites, used to be the equivalent of two cents, probably the equivalent of a half a cent today. And he said, of a truth, I say unto you, this poor widow has cast in more than they all, for all these have cast out of their abundance into the offering, but she, out of her poverty, has cast in all the living that she has. And some of them spake of the temple, verse 5, and how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts. And he said, As for these things, when you behold, the days will come in the which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And they asked him, saying, Master, when shall these things be? And what sign will there be when these things come to pass? All right, now turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 24, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew chapter 24, the same scene, but a different gospel, Matthew chapter 24, and uh, verse 1, and Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, Do you see all of these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, and they said, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Now the Gospel of Mark chapter 13. Mark's Gospel, chapter 13. Same scene, different Gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Here in Mark chapter 13, verse 1, as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And then Jesus said unto him, Do you see all these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, and Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign 
when all these things shall be fulfilled. May the Lord add his blessings on the reading of his word. Let God's people say praise the Lord. And you may be seated. Well, I'm sure all of you are aware now of all of the things going on in Israel and also in the Ukraine. You have Russia coming into uh, the Ukraine. And then yesterday on the news, it said that Russia had endorsed Hamas. And uh, so they stand behind them in their uh, uh, invasion of Israel. Now, I may teach you this Tuesday night, or I may teach you this next Sunday, but you might be shocked if I told you that the term Hamas is in the Bible. It's in the Scripture, several times in the Scripture, in the Hebrew Scriptures of the Old Testament. The word Hamas is there. It is associated with violence. It's associated with, uh, with darkness. It is associated with rebellion. And you might be shocked, uh, we read three Gospels just then, and Jesus said in all three Gospels, do you see all of these stones that make up the temple? He said, I tell you, the time will come when there will not be one stone upon another. Now, that, that's clear that we call this the synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all blend together. Uh, from diff three different perspectives. If there were three people standing on the corner, one on this corner, one on that corner, one down here, and an accident occurred, and they interviewed all three, each one of the three saw the accident, but they'd have a different perspective. And that's what you have in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is totally different. John is not a synoptic gospel, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke are. And in all of those three Gospels, Jesus said, I'll tell you that this temple with all of these huge stones, some of these stones were 40 feet long and 8 feet high, weighed tons. And he said, I'll tell you, not one stone will be left upon another. Is that what he said? Well, tell me then if that's true, how the wailing wall in Israel is part of the temple. Tell me about that. That wall in Israel is not part of the temple because all the temple was destroyed and there was not one stone left upon another, just like the Bible says. That wall in Israel is part of the Roman fortress that occupied Israel for a long time. And I perhaps will show you a film on that. I don't know if we can do that on a Sunday morning, but I'm going to talk to Brother Ken Humphreys, who is our... our uh, uh, genius here when it comes to the internet and all of these things, and we'll see if we can get him to put this. I'd like for you to see a lecture on that. I do not believe that the wall in Israel that they call the Wailing Wall is part of the temple, because Jesus said there won't be one stone left upon another, and that's, that wall is still standing, isn't it? You see, there's a lot of deception in this world. Now, there were many, many prophecies of the coming of the Messiah, but Israel missed them all. Even though Israel had the covenants, and they had the promises, and they had the law, and they had the prophets, the Jews as a nation did not know the hour of their visitation. And in two of the four Gospels, the Lord 
Jesus spoke of the fact that Jerusalem refused and rejected him when he would have gathered them together as a hen gathers her chicks. Here's what he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stoned them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, and verily I say unto you, you shall not see me, until the time comes when you shall say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. We are told in the Old Testament to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Did you know the word Jerusalem means city of peace? You've probably heard the word shalom. Jerusalem is city of peace. More blood has been shed in Jerusalem than any place on earth. No place has had more bloodshed than Jerusalem. Why? There will be no peace in the city of peace until the Prince of Peace stands there. When the Prince of Peace comes, then there will be peace. It's like when you walk through the cemetery and you see a sign that it says, Rest in peace. <laughs> well, there won't be any peace in Jerusalem. There won't be any peace in Franklin. There won't be any peace in Nashville. There won't be any peace in Los Angeles or Chicago or Baltimore or in Israel until the Prince of Peace is recognized as the Messiah. Why did they reject him? Why did they not know the Messiah when he came? Back in Genesis 3.15, the Lord told the devil, I'm going to send the seed of the woman, and he will bruise your head. He will put you out of business, but you will bruise his heel. Meaning that Jesus was injured, but not, did not stay dead, but the devil would be put out of business by what? the seed of the woman would do. I believe that Jesus was the Messiah, was the seed of the woman. So way back in Genesis 3.15, the Messiah was promised, and they had hundreds of years. And then the Scriptures came together, and they had the Scriptures for hundreds of years. Why did they not recognize Him when He came? Why did they reject Him? Why did they not know Him? I'm going to give you three things to think about. Number one... They did not know the Scriptures. The place of his birth, facts regarding his person, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection were all missed. We read in Matthew 21, 42, listen to how many times the Lord Jesus refers to the Scriptures. Jesus said to them, he was in Matthew 21, 42, did you never read the Scriptures that said the stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doings, and it is marvelous in our eyes. In Matthew chapter 22, they asked Jesus about a woman who'd been married to seven different men. And they said, in heaven, who will be her husband? And Jesus answered them and said, you do err not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. 
when a mob led by one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, came out to arrest him. And Peter, full of zeal for him, pulled out a sword and struck off a man's ear. Jesus said, put up thy sword into his place. Do you not think that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall at once give me more than twelve legions of angels? Listen now. But then how shall the Scriptures be fulfilled? And then he said, all this was done that the Scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. That's in Matthew chapter 26. Jesus said to those who came to arrest him, I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you took me not, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. We read in Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 15, when he was crucified, quote, the scripture was fulfilled when said he was numbered with the transgressors. Where is that statement, numbered with the transgressors? Where is that found? That's found in Isaiah chapter 53. Do you know that Isaiah 53 is about the only passage in the Old Testament which is not allowed by the Jews to be read in a synagogue service? Do you know that? You know why? Because so many Jews have read Isaiah 53 and they said, you know what? That sounds like this guy Jesus that all these Gentiles are worshiping. And many Jews have been converted from reading Isaiah chapter 53. When he came to Nazareth and visited a local synagogue and they asked him to read from the book of Isaiah, he turned to what is our Isaiah chapter 61 and he read verse 1 and part of verse 2. And then he said this after he read it. He said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. After he was risen from the dead, he joined two disciples on the road to Emmaus who were talking about his death, but somehow they didn't recognize him. And after listening to them for a minute and knowing that they did not understand what they had actually happened, what had actually happened in Jerusalem, this is what he said. This is Luke chapter 24. He said, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. That's the Scriptures. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Listen to this now. And beginning at Moses, he didn't begin at Matthew. Matthew was not even in existence. They just had what we call our Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi. Beginning at Moses, he expounded unto them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. You know why the Jewish people didn't know their Messiah when he came? Because they didn't know the Scriptures. They were depending on their salvation because they're related to Abraham. They're trusting in that, just like a lot of people today are trusting in their local church membership. They're doing good. They're helping a little old lady across the street, <laughs> being a Boy Scout or a Cub Scout. I told you several years ago about my mother. Somebody told my mother about something that I had done when I was about 10 or 12 years old. You know what she said? She said, well, I don't understand that because Bill was a Cub Scout. <laughs> Bill was a Cub Scout. Well, that shows that at that time, my own mother didn't know much about sin. Well, my friends, they did not know the Lord. They didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. 
because they didn't know the Scriptures. They did not know their own Word. And my friends, many today in the United States of America, the most blessed nation on the face of the earth, where you can go in any motel and there's a Scripture laying right there, they do not know the Scriptures. Many people today know little or nothing of the Scriptures. They never read the Scripture unless they are threatened with disease or disaster. Let's not be like them. Let's read the Scripture. Let's memorize the Scripture. Let's think upon the Scripture. That is, meditate. Let's study the Scripture. Let's pray to the Lord for understanding of the Scripture. In them is wisdom. In them is prudence. And in them is eternal life. Jesus said in John chapter 5 and verse 39, Search the Scriptures. These are they which testify of me. It is vital that we know the Scriptures, number one, so we know how to live, and number two, so we know how to die. The Bible says man shall not live by bread alone. In other words, life is more than just working and earning a living for your family and for yourself. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God shall man live. Let me tell you, if you've never done it before, vow today to yourself that you're going to start reading the Scripture, learning the Scripture, and asking the Lord to give you an understanding of the Scripture. The second reason that the Jews did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah is because of their self-righteousness. Their salvation was in what they thought was the keeping of the law. They supposed that they could keep the law. But the Apostle Paul, who himself was a Jewish rabbi who was converted to the Lord Jesus as the Messiah, he wrote in Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 30, What shall we say then, that the Gentiles, once followed not after righteousness, have attained unto righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith, but Israel which followed after the law of righteousness, followed after the law of righteousness, which hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Why not? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. That they missed Jesus because they were too busy trying to be righteous with God by trying to keep the law. The first Christian martyr was Stephen, and you read about him in Acts 7 and 8 and following. When they arrested Stephen for preaching in the name of Jesus, this is part of what he said. They stoned him to death, by the way. They killed him. And this is part of what he said after he gave a history of Israel, bringing it down to the birth of Jesus and trying to show them that Jesus was the promised Messiah. He said this, You stiff-necked, and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets have your fathers not persecuted? And they have slain them, which showed before, the prophets showed before, it's in the Bible, the coming of the just one, of whom you have now been the betrayers and the murderers. Listen to this now. You who have received the law by the disposition of angels, and have not kept it. 
You see, if you could keep the law, you would need a Savior. Jesus came because we can't keep the law. And when he told them that they hadn't kept the law, they flew into a rage. And they dragged him out of the city and they stoned him to death as he called upon the name of the Lord on their behalf. He said, Lord, do not lay this sin to their charge. Paul the Apostle, the former Saul of Tarsus, Jewish rabbi, this, it, this is what he tells us about why the Jews missed Jesus as the Messiah and why they don't see him today as the Messiah. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, Their minds were blinded. Until this day, the same veil remains untaken away when the Old Testament is read, which veil is done away with in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Why is the veil upon their heart? Because of their self-righteousness. They're seeking God through the righteousness of the law and claiming salvation based upon the fact that they are in the genealogy of Abraham. Because they do not know the Scripture and because they were filled with self-righteousness, they did not recognize the Messiah when He came. They did not understand why He came. His coming was not to exalt Israel, but His coming was to save sinners from their sins, both Jews and Gentiles. Even the disciples of Christ didn't understand His first coming. And after His resurrection, just before He was taken back up to heaven, you know what was on their mind? You can read it in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. This is, what, this is their question, just before He's taken up. Lord, will you at this time... Restore again the kingdom to Israel. And Jesus said, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons once the Father has put in his own power. And then he told them, This is what I want you to be concerned about. This is what I want you to be business, busy with. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. That's all in Acts chapter 1. Until the Lord sent the Holy Spirit who enlightened His disciples, they didn't understand that He would be coming back a second time. You see, His first coming was in humility and meekness. He came the first time as the Lamb of God, meek and mild and long-suffering. He gave sight to the blind. He healed the lame physically and the broken-hearted spiritually. He preached deliverance to the captives. The first time he came as a suffering servant, the first time he allowed men to curse him and to mock him and to strike him and to call him a liar and a, a wine-bibber and a glutton, that was his first coming. But dear friends, he's coming again, and his second coming, he's going to come in the glory of his heavenly Father with his holy angels. And he's coming to judge the world in righteousness, and he's coming to rescue his people, and he's coming to put down all authorities and powers in the earth, and he's coming to punish all who have rejected him, who did not want him to reign over them. He's coming, and it may not be long. Are you ready? Here's the third reason the Jews did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah. I will call it spiritual sleepiness. They were spiritually asleep. 
they were not watching. They were very careless and negligent of seeking the Lord. See, they'd forgotten all about the promise of the Messiah because it had been hundreds of years, thousands of years, since that promise was made in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. So they'd forgotten all about that, very much like we are today, carried away with everything else, too concerned with the world and with the things of the world and with ourselves to take the coming of the Lord seriously. Oh, he's coming. He's just not coming today. Sure, I want to go to heaven. I just didn't want to go this afternoon. <laughs> I want you to take a look here in Mark chapter 13, if you have your Bibles open. Take a look at the final verses of this message of warning from the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 13. Let's look at, let's see, verse, uh, verse 32. Verse 32. Of that day, they'd ask him now, when are you coming? He said, of that day and that hour, no man knows. Not the angels which are in heaven, not the Son, not, but only the Father. But take heed, watch, and pray, for you know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for you know not when the master of the house comes, at evening, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Now my friends, the Lord here is not simply giving good advice, he's giving a warning. Did you think he would warn us if we didn't need warning? If many of us weren't sleeping, this is a mystery hour. No one knows the day or the hour. But as I hope to show you in another study, we can read the road signs he's given us. A sign which says bridge out ahead doesn't just tell you how far the bridge is. It might be two miles, but there's a bridge out up there. And I'm sure the highway department thinks that when we see bridge out ahead, we'll slow down and not proceed too fast, too rapidly if the bridge is out. Wouldn't we begin looking for other signs, signs of detour, signs which instruct us which way to go if the bridge is out? Several years ago, and I think it was in the state of Louisiana, there was a man standing on the side of the road, and he was trying to flag people down. The bridge down the road about a half a mile had collapsed. And he was frantically trying to get people to stop. And I forget just how many, but I think over a half a dozen people were killed because they paid no attention to it. And millions today, millions are on the road to hell. And they don't know how close they are to death. They don't know how close they are to the coming of the Lord is for them personally. And our merciful Lord is warning us here to stay spiritually awake. That doesn't mean don't take a nap. It doesn't mean don't sleep at night. It means don't become spiritually lazy. Don't forget what you are called to do. Don't forget the coming of the Lord. How should we live? Well, he tells us right here. First of all, he says, we should live like workers whose master, whose boss has taken a journey. That's verse 34. 
Mark chapter 13, verse 34. The Son of Man is like a man taking a far journey. That is a long trip. He has left his house. Now the house of the Lord is this world. This is the house of the Lord. He's left his house, he says. Then he says in verse 34, he's given every person a job to do. He's given to every man his work. And then he says he has said to the porter, that's the doorkeeper, and to everybody that's there to keep a watch. That's verse 35. And you'll notice in most translations, the man who has taken this journey is our master. He's the master. We're going to answer to him when he returns. To return and find us sleeping means that we were not faithfully doing what he's given us to do. So this is how we are to live. We are to live always alert, always looking for the Lord, always working for the Lord, always waiting on him to return, regardless of your particular slant of eschatology, the doctrine of last things, prophecy. You should live every day as though the Lord's coming that day, because he might come for you that day. Whether he comes for the world or not, he may come for you. And you should live every day as though it is your last day. If we knew the Lord was coming tomorrow, I guarantee you today, there are things that we would be doing that we hadn't thought about doing before. This is how we are to live, always alert, always looking for the Lord, always working for the Lord, always anticipating His return. And although we don't know the day or the hour, we can know when the time of His coming is drawing near, and that means that we have no excuse if we are caught unprepared. Now look at verse 23, and this is in all three of the Gospels. But in verse 23, Jesus says to His disciples, Take heed, I have foretold you all these things. In Matthew 24, 25, he says, Behold, I have told you beforehand. Now the Jews had all of that told beforehand to them, but they missed him. Because they didn't know the scripture. Because they were in self-righteousness. And because they were asleep. And that's why they missed him. And these events set forth in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21, all started with them being in the temple and them saying something about the temple. They said, well, what about this beautiful temple? He said, you see all of these things? I tell you, the time is coming when not one stone will be left upon another. In uh, Matthew, he says it this way, there shall not be left here one stone upon another, there shall not, that shall not be thrown down. <clears throat> in Mark, he says, There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. In Luke, he said, There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. He says that in all three Gospels. So you know what I think? I think that when the temple was destroyed, there was not one stone left upon another that was not thrown down. That's exactly what I believe. Specifically, what did the apostles want to know when he said that? It says in Mark chapter 13, verses 3 and 4, Tell us when shall these things be? What shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? Matthew says, What shall be this sign of thy coming and the end of the world? Matthew chapter 24. 
Now, all of us, I think, would agree that given the opportunity, we would welcome a look into the future. And I believe our Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus, has given us a glimpse into the future in these passages in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels of what is now transpiring in Israel and around the world. And I intend to share a few general lessons regarding the second coming of the Lord in the next few weeks. Everybody's attention is on it now, so I'm going to take the opportunity to share some things with you. And as I have repeatedly said to this congregation over the years, the last days began with the birth of the Messiah. It says in Hebrews chapter 1, God in times past spoke unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. So the last days began with the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to close this morning with a brief reading from Paul in 2 Timothy 3 and Peter in 2 Peter 3. I want you to listen to this. And I, was, I grew up spiritually on the King James Version, so those are the versions, that's the version that I have memorized. But these, these two readings are from the International Standard Version, which I think probably opens up the intent a little better so that I don't have to explain some of the uh, old words, the archaic words. This is from 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. This is what Paul says. You must realize that in the last days, difficult times will come. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unfeeling, uncooperative, slanderous, degenerate, brutal, hateful of what is good. You think cutting off the heads of babies and burning old people in a wheelchair, you think that's brutal? That's what they did. That's what Hamas did over there in Israel. Brutal, hateful of what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They will hold to an outward form of godliness, religion, but deny its power. Stay away from such people. Now that's clear. Now listen to Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3. Dear friends, he says, this is now the second letter I'm writing to you. In them I have been trying to stimulate your pure minds by reminding you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior spoken through the apostles. First of all, you must understand this. In the last days, mockers will come, following their own desires, and they will ridicule us. They will ridicule believers. Right now, there are thousands of people marching in, in the streets of the United States. And they're marching against two types of people, Christians and Jews. That's what they're, and they're marching for, Allah and Islam. And if they do what they're doing over in Israel, the time will come when they'll do that in the United States. Unless the Lord prevents it. 
It'll be coming over here. He says, you must understand this. In the last days, mockers will come, fulfilling their own desires, and they will ridicule us by saying, what happened to the promise of the Christ to return? Ever since our ancestors died, everything continues as it did from the beginning. But they deliberately ignore the fact that long ago the heavens existed and the earth was formed by God's word out of the water and with the water by which the world at that time was deluged with water and destroyed. Now by the same word that the present heavens and earth have been reserved for fire and they're being kept for the day when ungodly people will be judged and destroyed. Listen now, and I'm almost through. Don't forget this fact, dear friends. With the Lord, a single day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a single day. In other words, with God, there's no such thing as time. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some people understand slowness, but He's being patient. He does not want any of us to perish, but He wants everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will disappear with a roaring sound. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be exposed and burned up. And my friends, things are beginning to get very, very serious in the United States and in the world. And uh, I want to remind you what Jesus said. He said, Be you also ready, for in an hour that you think not, the Son of Man will come. Watch, therefore, you do not know when the master of the house will come. At evening, at midnight, at the cock crowing, or in the morning. What I say unto you, I say unto you all, watch. So let me give you this word. First thing I would say to you is if you have never come to Christ, if you have never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, today is the day of salvation. I would believe on him. Uh, we're not going to ask you to walk an aisle, raise your hand, sign a card, or anything else. This is between you and the Lord. But if you have never called on the Lord, you can do that in your heart and in your mind. You can call on the Lord. And if you call on the Lord and uh, you believe Him and you believe that He is your Savior, He's your Messiah, you should, certainly should confess Him. And the biblical New Testament way of confessing Him is through water baptism. Baptism does not save you. It does not wash your sins away. But it is a confession and it is an answer of a good conscience before your Lord. May the Lord add His blessings to the teaching of His Word. Can we stand together? So if we can, we'll sing under the blood. Okay? I want you to realize, uh, I, uh, I think the Scriptures teach that Christ is coming again. I think the Scriptures teach that He's going to come publicly. He's not going to come silently. He's not going to come in a way that's secret. He's going to come and every eye shall see Him. And the nations of the earth are going to wail because of Him. Because they're going to realize that after all, the Scriptures are true. And that the lowly Jesus is coming as the Lord of glory. And he's coming to judge the earth. And he's coming to redeem his people.
So whoever you are, I would encourage you today to seek the Lord while he may be found and call ye upon him while he is near. If I can help you in any way, I'd be happy to privately sit down with you and talk to you and show you the scriptures and try to answer your questions. But the most important thing is to trust him. The scriptures are very clear that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord and believes in his or her heart that God has raised him from the dead shall be saved. 